0: Did you get any sort of notification that this phone call is being recorded? Yeah. Okay, great. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Poetry Prompt Podcast. My name is Jill Fredenberg. And this is Taylor Vincent. And we're super excited to have you on another week. Justin Davis is a dear friend of mine. He earned his BA in Literature and Creative Writing from Rhodes College, where he received the Anne Howard Bailey Prize in Poetry. A 2018 Pushcart nominee, his poems and fiction are published or forthcoming in Apogee, Freeze Ray Poetry, Boat, and Decon. He works as a community organizer in Memphis, Tennessee, and we met in undergrad, and I couldn't be more grateful for our friendship. (laughs) That's cute. Justin, what got you into writing poetry?
1: Yeah, so I guess I first got into it, I guess, in high school, um... You know, I was just in like sophomore year English class and we had a poetry unit um, where we ended up having to write a lot of our own stuff. And I mean, up until that point, I feel like anytime I had actually read any poetry, I just kind of thought it was boring. (laughs) Like I was, you know, I was just like, I don't really know what's going on with this. Um, But when my teacher started pushing us to write our own stuff, um, I don't know. I just... You know, it ended up being this thing where I, you know, I kept thinking about it kind of outside of class and outside of the assignments that I was doing. Um, you know, I would be like going home on the train and like thinking about poem ideas. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, you know, I don't even have to <laughs> do this for a grade or anything. And it just kind of just kind of stuck. Um, and I've just kind of been doing it since then.
0: Were there any that made you feel like "Oh, this is something important? It's more than
1: just a um, passing interest. Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the first people I was really drawn to was Langston Hughes. Um, like, I'm a huge Langston Hughes fan. And like, not only does a lot of his work just, you know, really speak to just so many things that were, that were going on just like while he was writing them, like socially and culturally, but also he's just super versatile. You know, like he could like he could do so many different so many different styles, you know, so many different forms, rhyming, not rhyming. And it always just was really tight and sounded really good. And um, so, you know, I was just always really drawn to kind of both those parts of his work.
0: It's incredible how often I see you posting um that you just got published here and just got published here. And I love it. And it's so exciting um, to see your work and get to, to click on different websites and and read. Uh, But what keeps you you. writing and then what keeps you submitting? Like, do you have a a process every week where you take a few hours and like submit stuff or is it kind of whenever you feel like it, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So it's, I think it's more when I feel like it right now. Um, That's only because I think since I've graduated from school, um, You know, I just have to be more intentional about setting aside time where I'm kind of just looking at my writing. Um, Like, you know, like I'm just editing or I'm just brainstorming or I'm just looking for places to submit to. Um, Because, I mean, a lot of a lot of submitting stuff is really a waiting game. Right. So I really have to I try to push myself not to not to over edit. Um, and really just to, yeah, you know, just really being intentional about setting aside time where I'm just thinking about my writing Because I, I think it's, you know, I think it's easy to get distracted these days, just like, you know, having my computer and my phone around all the time, it can be easy to kind of, you know, let it slip my mind. So I just try to be really intentional about that.
2: Yeah. Where would you say you um, get your inspiration from? I know you mentioned Langston Hughes um, is a poet that you really admire a lot. What sort of yeah. themes do you tend to write about?
1: Um, So I think generally I, I tend to think a lot about culture and identity, especially popular culture, and just how it can be this really interesting just kind of meeting point for You know, just all these really interesting ideas about just, you know, power and race and gender and class. I feel like a lot of the time, you know, pop culture is kind of where all of those things meet together. So, you know, I'm really inspired by music. Um, Music ends up in my work a lot, like really music and visual art. And I try to I try to read a lot of, of, you know, other people who are like really big right now in the poetry world. Like I, I try to read a lot of contemporary folks and that's also like really, really inspiring. because there they're just there's so many amazing poets right now who are thinking about similar things that I am, you know, who come from a variety of different backgrounds, but who just like really kind of let all that shine through in their work. So that's been like, you know, really cool to be able to like keep up with that.
0: Do you have a particular avenue through which you find contemporary poetry to read, do you look at the the sites that you've been published on and and read the work of other people there is are there any lists that you're subscribed to? How do you curate what you read?
1: Yeah, so I definitely I definitely read um stuff in the journals that I've been published in you know I really even regardless of you know like name recognition or anything like that, I really try to submit to places where You know, I really like the work that's in it, you know, like I I try to really submit to places where I could really see my work next to the kinds of people who they normally publish. And then I also like, you know, I um, there's an email list I subscribe to that. I think it's the Academy of American Poets has this thing called Poem a Day where they'll send you a new poem um, by like a contemporary writer, like every day to your email. So I try and check that out a lot. Um, and when I can, I try to get new books from the bookstore, but, uh, that, that can get a little expensive.
2: (laughs) Who would you say are some of your favorite contemporary poets right now?
1: Right now, um, Terrence Hayes is a big one. Um, he's like a huge inspiration to me. Uh, Um, he got a MacArthur Genius Grant, which I don't even know how you get one of those as a poet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, Terrence Hayes, um, Dinesh Smith, uh, Morgan Parker, who just put out a book last week, actually, um, that I like, I got up and went to the bookstore the day it came out. Like, it's so good. Um, so those three especially. And even um, there's this guy, Hanif Abdurraqib, who he's yeah. a poet and a music critic um and he just put out a book about a trap called quest that i can't wait to get into um so those are some of my like favorite people right now
2: yeah i had the opportunity to see um hani and i had never heard his work before but yeah i really love it it's really great <laughs> i bought his
0: book too so i totally get what you're saying if you were in the zombie apocalypse and you could only pick one of those three poets to be your teammate and all of the other ones are going to die and, and like you have to try to survive with just this one other poet, who would you pick and why?
1: Oh, <laughs> oh, my God. um, That's a good question. <laughs>
0: While while he's thinking really quick, y'all will put all of the poets that he's mentioned and uh, their latest published work on our website and on the Facebook page.
1: Hmm. You know, I'm going to go with Terrence Hayes. Um, I I feel like I feel like he would have a good sense of what to do. Also, he's really tall
0: and I don't know (laughs) if that
1: would make a difference, but there's just some feels like that would that would help somehow.
0: I feel like it probably would. Would you mind reading us why I won't write about the boy?
1: Yeah, sure. All right. Um, This is why I won't write about the boy. After we killed the boy, he was no longer a boy. His rough hair, a metaphor for childhood. Fatherless, we're sure. Eyes blank, like a squid's. No. Leave the boy's skin inkless, because no one else will. Huffington Post is writing about the boy. Our great aunts are Facebooking about the boy. Everyone has something to say about the boy, and somewhere, someone is writing about writing about the boy. Those who write about the boy say that boys cause hearing loss, that boys have a life expectancy of brief. I cannot write about the boy because the boy cannot write about the boy. The boy cannot say that he is constantly growing out of clothes, that he's never seen a kite before, that his fingers lie in knots as a litany of knots. I refuse to write about the boy. I refuse to write about the boy. I refuse to write about the boy because if I do, someone will write about me.
0: Can you walk us through the iterations of this, like the process, if you can remember it, the steps that it took to to get this out of yourself?
1: Yeah, so... I first wrote this, I think the first draft came out of my my like advanced poetry workshop. And I remember that our our original prompt was to do an ars poetica. So we were supposed to do, you know, a poem that was about writing poems. So initially, I remember that this poem was it was shorter and it looked different. And I think in the in the process of editing I had to think a lot about just what parts of that I really wanted to, to focus on. So like, you know, I think in that first draft, I think I was, I was a little more explicit about that aspect of it, but really a lot of it came from just thinking about just how much, you know, how much black death is in the, is in the media now. Right. And just how we've just reached the cycle where, you know, the case comes out and then, suddenly, you know, this, like, this person is just being completely mediated through other people, you know, everybody is, you know, trying to look for things that they can use to make a judgment call about, like, whether it should have happened to this person or not. And, you know, I think, so I think for a while, for a while, it was kind of difficult for me to write about stuff like that. But I think as, you know, as time has gone on, I've kind of, to more of an understanding of just you know how that process keeps happening and I try to I don't know I try to be mindful of that in in just like writing about writing about these kind of really tragic experiences Um, just like yeah just being mindful of that because I think you know I think you just you never really expect necessarily that you might be in a point where you know You've got all these people who never met you who are just like suddenly trying to like, you know, evaluate your whole life and just evaluate just as an example, like, you know, why a cop would feel like in a particular moment that you shouldn't have that anymore. So so yeah, it was, you know, it was just a really interesting process just getting from that first draft to just getting to something that felt more complete, you know, that just felt like it really got that across.
2: I really liked the ending um, because I kind of felt like the part where it says um, I refuse to write about the boy because if I do, someone will write about me. And that's kind of taking it from this more like objective sense of there's this like experience that is a way for me that uh, all these people are talking about. But if you write about it, then now you're fully engaged. And as um, like a, a Black boy or a Black man, um, now you're becoming a part of that experience and you're becoming the boy in that sense. And I just, I really liked the way that you ended that there.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I definitely, you know, it's interesting because I don't remember what, you know, what line it was exactly, but I remember that you know, when I first did my first draft and we were talking about it in workshop that at one point near the end, um, that I had taken out that instead of the boy, it was a boy. And I remember that I had gotten a lot of comments about that, right, because it's, you know, because the question is like, well, what are you doing when you kind of, that kind of creates a distance between you as the person who's writing the poem and like this person as a subject, And when I went back and re-edited it, I took that out because I felt like, you know, I felt like that distance wasn't really what I wanted to convey because it's really like, yeah, like as a, as a black man, when I see, when I see things like this in the media, I can't help but think about myself because, because I know that I could end up in a situation like that.
0: Yeah. That's real. Mm -hmm. Do you remember if you wrote this in, did it come out of you in the, chronological setup that it currently has or something like that ending did you know that you wanted to set up a path that led to that change in objectivity
1: yes yeah, so it was like you know I think originally I had definitely it felt like things were going on a path but it didn't feel like I had totally figured out where it was going yet because yeah, and that original draft it was I had I had a different beginning. So um so the beginning I have right now, like that that was the second stanza. There was a stanza before that. And then the ending was shorter than what it is now. So just like, yeah, in that process of editing, you know, I really just like, you know, I not not only did I change how I set it up, but you know, I just I tried to add more so that it felt like there was more of a clear trajectory, you know, and that you could get the sense that it was going somewhere. Um, Whereas with that first draft, it was just, just kind of, you know, it was more concise than this. It was just kind of in and out.
2: Do you ever go back and change any of your poems, like maybe change a line, change a word or change the ending or have multiple endings?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think when I'm still in the process of working on something, I do that a lot. Like I'm often just a very visual person. So I like being able to, you know, if I'm thinking about a few different ways that a piece can go, then I try to just, you know, show myself like, what do those things look like? So, you know, sometimes, yeah, you know, I'll work on something and I'll have a few different versions that might have different endings or, you know, different um, places switched out um and things like that just to figure out like what pieces are gonna work best together but generally once you know once i consider something done generally it's done because you know kind of like what i said earlier you know i think if sometimes um you can get in a position where you're looking at something so long that you end up over editing right and um you know you're just you switching out so many different things that that you don't you don't just kind of let it let it breathe you know and just kind of just be a finished work and i think it's useful to do that even if you have questions about a piece um it's just to you know give it some time where you say okay for right now this is done and then you know take a step back from it and then maybe you know maybe you give it some time and then maybe you come back to it again and then you say you know do I still feel like this is done, or are there other things that I could do to it?
0: What has it been like since graduating and not having the poetry workshops set in your schedule? Um, what's it been like to try to get feedback on your poetry? Do Do you even do that anymore?
1: Um. Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely been harder because yeah. The nice thing about being in school is that you're kind of, you're put in this place where you're getting feedback by default. So you know that, you know, when you turn a draft in, that you're going to get some feedback about it. So now I, I get that a lot less from other folks. So really it's, you know, again, I try to, you know, really just take time to be in a space where I'm, you know, where I'm just thinking about, you know, just thinking about editing and just, you know, going back through old stuff and just seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't, you know. I do have, I do have some folks who, you know, I will sometimes send work to just to like get their thoughts about it. And actually, I'm pretty soon I'm going to be like in the process of applying to an MFA program, so we'll see how that turns out. But um, that would also be, you know, just a really nice opportunity to just like be in a space where I know that I can get some feedback from other folks. Um, but you know I when I can I try to network with other writers and I try to see if you know there are folks who are looking for that because you know just as much as I appreciate getting feedback about my work I also like giving other people feedback because I think that I think having an outside perspective on on your work even before it's done is just you know really really vital
0: There's something so generous about both receiving and sharing your work. And that's a little bit of our, that's sort of our mission with this podcast is to create an online and audio technical version of a community where people can be generous with each other and a way that I think comes up a lot in academic structures around poetry. So like what you were saying about applying and, and we'll put good vibes out into the universe, not that you need them to get into an MFA program, but that kind of support sort of goes away when you're not in a structured environment where that generosity is sort of gifted to you every week?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, for me, like, one of the really nice things about workshop is that, you know, it's not only that you got, you know, you're getting feedback, but it's like, you know, you're getting a lot of it, ideally. And, And for me, that's just, that's really helpful because it's like, you know, I don't, like, I don't write my stuff for other people. At the end of the day, you know, the stuff I write is really for me. But at the same time, ideally, it's like, you know, you write a piece. What happens to it? For me, it's like ideally at some point that goes out into the world and, you know, you're going to be in a position where you're not always going to be able to speak for it. And it's got to be able to, you know, stand on its own and people have got to be able to, you know, get those things out of it that you put in there. So like workshop is really useful for saying like, you know, if say like everybody in workshop was like, yeah, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really get what was going on with your ending, for example. Then for me, that's, you know, that's a good sign that like, okay, I need to go back and look at that because, because ideally, you know, once your work is done, you're going to be in a position where, you know, you're not primarily mediating it anymore. There's an audience that's mediating it after that.
2: Yeah. That's really interesting um, to say because, I know that there are people who don't share their work um, and writing for them is more of a personal sort of expression. Um, But I think that you really grow when you recognize that this is a piece that is going to be communicated with other people. Um, And in order to better communicate these messages and to touch other people, if that's something that you're interested in doing, Like, you really do have to be open to um, the critique and the editing because, you know, this is going to um, reach other people. and You want them to sort of have similar feelings or be able to at least understand um, the story that you're trying to tell there.
1: I mean, I think that's a really good way to put it because, yeah, for me, it's, you know, it's really about just, you know, how like how do I communicate what I want to communicate in the best way possible? Like, you know, even even if nobody has seen it yet, just how do I, yeah, how do I have a piece that just, you know, can communicate what I want it to communicate, even if I'm not there to speak for
0: it? Would you mind reading us on a quote by Jesse Jackson, overheard in a crowd?
1: All right. So this is on a quote by Jesse Jackson, overheard in a crowd. When we vote, you make heaven happy. When we vote, we make white men unhappy. When we make heaven happy, what happens? When we dream, it's often deferred. When we steal, we end up dead. When we don't steal, we end up dead. When we vote, maybe an angel gets its wings. When I have questions about heaven, I ask Joseph. When I have questions about white people, I ask Joseph. When I think of heaven, I think of Blanche Bruce. When we vote, we make Blanche Bruce happy. When we run, sometimes we win these days. When we run, sometimes we end up dead. When we rap, we compare ourselves to shit. When we get shit, we know it. When we sleep, we meet the cousin of death. When we Fred Hampton, sleep brings his cousin over. When we vote, we get post-grandfather-caused. When we vote, we get gerrymandered. When we read, we get fake news and shit. When we read, we get poems and shit. When we breathe, we end up dead or black. Yeah, so it's anaphora. Um, So yeah, so that's when, you know, when you tend to repeat words or phrases um, compared to like, you know, alliteration is usually just like, Talking about like the sounds at the beginning of a word. But anaphora is kind of more it's like, you know, just more general repetition.
0: And anaphora has this really long extended historical context and speeches. Were you thinking about that as you tapped in writing this poem?
1: You know, that's a good question. I feel like that definitely plays into it a little bit because yeah, anaphora is it's a really common and it's a powerful rhetorical tool. You know, it um it gives things momentum. It reinforces like the structure of what you're saying. I mean, I think when when I was coming up with this, so that first line is it's a quote that I heard from by Jesse Jackson when I was at the Civil Rights Museum on the 50th anniversary of MLK's assassination. Um, so you know there were all these different events in Memphis. Um, so they had you know all these people at the Civil Rights Museum, and I heard him say this, and I guess in What came to my mind immediately was, you know, I just feel like that statement needs to get interrogated a little more because I feel like, you know, there's there's so much more nuance to this idea of, you know, like what like what happens when we vote and just like the different feelings that people have about that. So I think for me, you know, also just using that anaphora was also just a way to, I don't know, just to me as a poem, it just it, it feels a little crowded. You know, just just having these, like having these parts of the line that are all very similar, um, and you know, I it just felt like it felt like a good way to just kind of convey that you know there are just there are all these there are all these different perspectives that go into this idea of why people are voting or why they aren't voting. So yeah, you know, I felt like the momentum and the different perspectives all kind of leaned into me just you know wanting to use that anaphora for this piece.
0: It comes across really well visually, too. You see the, the title ending with overheard in a crowd. And then as you look at the poem itself, visually, we get the when we vote, when we make, when we dream. And it's all very stacked in a way that I think conveys that crowded context really well. And just all
2: the we's and um, and then you have like the three eyes in the middle. It's just really interesting to look at it uh, when I have questions, when
0: I have questions, when I think of heaven. For the prompt this week, we would like y'all to write poems that use an aphora in them. We're not going to specify how. Justin's poem will be up with his other work that he's read for us on the website. So if you want to look at that visual in order to write your poems, please do so. But don't feel like it needs to follow any sort of particular pattern other than using an
1: aphora itself. Do I have anything to promote?
0: Yeah. I mean, ideally, at some point, some people are going to be listening to these things. So if there's anything in particular that you would like to... Like any links you want people to have access to, any social media... Yeah.
1: Um, well, read my poems. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. So, yeah, that's about all I got.
0: Again, all of this stuff will occur visually online as well. So if anyone doesn't know how to spell Justin, for whatever reason, it's going (laughs) to be on there. podcast has been hosted by jill fredenberg and taylor vinson our artwork is by the wonderful marumi lee and our music is by the talented ava lenick this week's prompt and every week's prompts are on our facebook page as well as our website the and you can find us on socials at the poetry prompt podcast